0: Hello and welcome back to the Insights Podcast. I'm Philippa Alam discussing the month's most important developments in accountancy. And as always, there's a lot to keep track of. How the Fred82 consultation will change UK accounting principles, what rising corporation tax and changing R&D credits will mean, and how to responsibly use generative artificial intelligence tools like ChatGPT. Here with me, I'm very pleased to have ICAW's Head of Corporate Reporting Policy, Sally Baker, Technical Editor, Lindsay Wicks, and Director of Digital and Publishing, John Pierce. Morning, everyone. Thanks for coming in. Good Good morning. We've been hearing a lot in the media lately about generative artificial intelligence tools such as ChatGPT. There is no doubt they're exciting and potential uses for them are very wide-ranging indeed, not least in accountancy. But how reliable is their output? And can accountants responsibly put them to use as more and more reports of inaccuracies and outright invented facts come to light? John, I know you've been experimenting with ChatGPT. Members are using it. You've been talking to them, haven't you? What are they doing with it?
1: Well, a lot of experimentation, as you're saying, and at different levels. At a public level, everybody can access it and have a play with it. It's just a website, but some companies are doing it at an enterprise level where they're using the Azure services to integrate it with their own contextual information in a more protected environment. And depending on which way you're using it will depend on what data you can share and, and the kind of issues that you might result from that.
0: But talking about. Outcomes. I mean, it was described to me by a colleague as an ill-informed, overconfident junior. Does that chime with you?
1: It can do. I mean, it is dependent on the prompt you use and the context you give it. So sometimes people have attempted to engineer strange responses. Sometimes it gives strange responses to genuine questions. I do think that um, if you're using it sensibly and you're crafting intelligent prompts, Understanding that it can hallucinate, understanding that it was trained 18 months ago, so it doesn't have any recent information. It produces pretty good content, but I certainly wouldn't be publishing content without a professional looking at it after it's produced it.
0: I mean, as we've said, people have been playing with it. They've been trying to effectively bully Chat GPT into, into saying ridiculous things or, or become outright abusive, which, as I understand it, you can do. But if you're using it as a serious professional person, you're trying to get good outcomes from it you can still get completely erroneous data back, can't you?
1: You can. It does have as a genuine recognized problem in the language. Its hallucinations. It does hallucinate. It generates content. It's trying to please you sometimes. So yes, it, it can produce content that comes from it's completely made up, but so sounds invented genuine. Book
0: titles, yes. invented facts, formulae, all that sort of thing.
1: Indeed, yeah, it will try to please you. So it can it, it will invent information,
0: which you know potentially sounds extremely concerning, doesn't it? So you really really need to vet everything it gives you before you use it.
1: Indeed, yes.
0: There's an issue around data protection as well isn't there?
1: I think already they've started to improve their privacy statements but uh, obviously Italy as a country has decided to, to block access to it because of those concerns from their data protection people. I think you should be sensible with the data and the context you give it.
0: So this is around the idea that anything you give it in terms of information it can retain and potentially use or what potentially sell?
1: The policies are different because depending on which one you're using, if you're using the OpenAI one or barred from Google, and they do state that they don't use it or won't sell it or pass it on, But people are nervous and uh, you should be careful in what information you're sharing with it.
0: So not enough clarity on that right now, would it be fair to say?
1: Well, I think the, the, the privacy policies are a little bit loose at the moment, but the alternative is the enterprise route. With Microsoft, you can have your own installation and there you're completely controlling it's in your own environment so it has the power you have the ability to give it much more context and therefore get much better answers but also the security from Microsoft that it's contained within your instance so if you're going, if you're wanting to share information that you don't want others to learn I think you need to, really need to go the enterprise route rather than the open web route.
0: Now obviously in terms of essay writing and even examination students have <laughs> welcomed chat GPT with open arms I mean thinking about the ACA examinations how is the qualification going to maintain its rigour in the face of this? Because, as I understand it, it's not trackable if you use chat GPT right now.
1: Well, within the examination environment that, that we host, we have proctoring. So it's another way to access the internet, which, which we restrict. But in terms of its performance in passing the exams, the first release 3.5 back in November failed uh, our exams when we tested it. The one GPT-4 that was released in March passed it uh, and the same kind of uh, and passed it well I think. it passed it well yes and 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 for gpt's owners did the test on the bar exam the first iteration was in the bottom 10 percent and the second iteration was in the top 10 percent. so you can see the kind of exponential improvement over those versions
0: yeah because there's a new version is it november the next version's expected up
1: they haven't f- uh, confirmed when the, when the next iteration will be but yeah it, we'll, we'll have a little bit of a pause now
0: But in terms of examinations, the response to how they might need to change or be reorganised, that sounds as if it needs to be pretty rapid.
1: Indeed, yeah. and Obviously, we're already looking at it because it's going to change the way our members work. Once it's integrated into enterprise products, Microsoft have already launched Copilot and therefore some of the tasks that humans used to do are going to be more and more done by these products with your human oversight. So the mix of what we need to examine and what's in the qualification will also need to change.
0: Yeah, but as you say, there's lots of potential positive outcomes here. I'm thinking about what it might mean for client service. I mean, it has a very tempting potential, doesn't it, to reduce time spent on at least routine tasks, would that be fair to say?
1: That's the idea. I mean, the, the programmers have obviously been used to this for a, for a bit longer. It's been alive in, in GitHub for about six months. And there, Microsoft say uh, productivity increases about 70 percent, but job satisfaction increases by 80 percent. Because the things that it is doing are the things that people find a bit more drudge-like.
0: Really, the mundane work, the grunt work.
1: That's the idea.
0: Okay, because I know that the legal profession's been a a, a rapid adopter. It's been used quite widely, hasn't it?
1: The legal profession's also identified as one of the areas that are most exposed to AI. So I think they need to adapt and use it, otherwise um, it'll take their jobs.
0: Goldman Sachs, I think they've recently produced some work on that, haven't they, about the potential, I call it job threat, but the potential outcomes that this might have for certain professions. And legal is high up, isn't it? Office, admin, but also business and financial.
1: 300 million jobs potentially affected was the, uh, the headline there um, and obviously mostly in the western world and, and mostly in office type of environments. But we've been here before with, with other computer initiatives and generally our members adapt very well to technology and, and are keen to adapt and become more productive so, and new jobs will obviously arise.
0: So what do you see then as the most appropriate uses for accountants as things stand now?
1: I think any kind of report writing or content generation, customer service within the firm, it's very good at customer service, especially if you can integrate it with your CRM. I would say that you really have to look at it at an enterprise level if you're going to be sharing data that's privileged, so not the open access ones. I would recommend giving it a try, just on the open web for normal kind of conversation. But the custom service, marketing, and then financial help once it's in the product, because it's coming in with with Excel, all all the big software providers will be integrating it in their services in a controlled manner so your data's protected.
0: And at the front end, client research,
1: presumably. Indeed, yes.
0: So your thoughts for people listening to this who perhaps haven't ventured into it before, how would you suggest they, well, yes, open relations with ChatGPT?
1: Go and have a play. I mean, it's already available via Bing, Bard for Google. Very easy to access and just start having a conversation with it and see what outputs you get. But a little bit of caution on what it produces. Check the accuracy, uh, especially if you're going to be sharing it further.
0: Lots of critical thinking. Yeah. Thanks very much, John. Now, Lindsay, should we move on to the effects of rising corporation tax and uh, changing R&D credits? But should we kick off with corporation tax? Yes, let's do that. So what,
2: what's changing and, and when? Well, on 1st of April, we went back to having two rates of corporation tax in the UK. The biggest companies, those with profits over 250000 will pay tax at the main rate of 25%. And back at the budget, the Chancellor said that only 10% of companies will pay at the 25% rate. The smallest, those with profits of less than 50,000, they'll pay tax at the small companies rate, which is still 19%. And then those companies with profits in the band from 50,000 to 250,000 will pay 25% with marginal relief. And what that really means is that their effective corporation tax rate in that 50,000 to 250,000 band
0: is 26.5%. Now, this sounds straightforward, but I know I know you think it's more complex than it looks.
2: Yeah, there's um, two reasons for this. The first is now that we've got two rates of corporation tax, um, the associated company rules come back into play. And what that means is that where there are associated companies, we have to divide those 50,000 and 250,000 profit limits. So if there are two associated companies, those limits are halved. And then the other complication are the transitional rules. So, there's not that many companies that have a 31st of March year end. So, if you've got a different year end, a different accounting period, you've actually got to divide your accounting period into two for the date that straddles the 1st of April. Okay. So,
0: how is this going to affect members working in tax?
2: The first thing is familiarisation or re with the associated company rules. We've had a single corporation tax rate since the 1st of April 2015, so it's a long time yeah, since we've had to pick yeah. up those those rules. There may be some restructuring work to do, so people might decide that their group structure or their holding structure isn't right now in the light of those um, associated company rules coming in to, back into play. And the other thing to be aware of is the transitional calculations. Yes, we've got corporation tax software that will do the work, but you need to understand how, how the rules should be working to be able to do a sense check on what the software is spurting out at, at the bottom. R&D tax relief, what's changing there? There are a lot of changes on a lot of different dates. Okay. Um, so from 1st of April of 2023, we had a lot of rate changes The additional deduction for SMEs um, was cut from 130% to 86%. The payable credit for SMEs was reduced from 14.5% to 10%. However, at the budget, it was announced that R&D intensive SMEs would have a reprieve. They'll still get a credit rate of 14.5%. The Research and Development Expenditure Credit also known as RDEC, that rate actually increases and that's going up from 13% to 20%. And all of these rate changes mean that companies that don't have a 31st of March year-end will need to apportion their expenditure because it applies as of all expenditure that's incurred on or after the 1st of April. So they've got to be able to split their expenditure. The next set of changes also apply to accounting periods beginning on or after 1st of April 2023. So it's a slightly different dynamic here. And this brings in more eligible R&D expenditure. So um, the categories are expanding to include payments for sets and cloud computing services, and then the R&D guidelines are changing. And this is to extend R&D to include pure maths. And also another change for accounting periods beginning on or after first of April, twenty twenty three, is that companies will need to formally notify. HMRC of their intention to claim R&D tax relief. The next change will apply from the 1st of August 2023. Companies filing claims on or after this date will need to file an additional information form either before or at the same time as their corporation tax return. And then one other change that we had been expecting this year, which was the restriction on overseas R&D expenditure, that's actually being delayed until 1st of April 2024, and the reason for that delay is because the government wants a bit more time to think about how that will interact with its proposals for a single R&D scheme.
0: Well, as you say, there's a lot, isn't there? There is. And what should listeners be most alive to right now?
2: Well, all of these changes are on top of the corporation tax rate changes. So it's going to be harder to specify the benefit of the relief this year, particularly as we've got all these transitional rules in play. They need to be clear on what's happening when. There may be a rush to file corporation tax returns containing R&D claims before that 1st of August deadline. So I think it's going to be a busy summer for a lot of people doing those claims. And the other thing is, yes, we think these things are happening in 2024, but a lot of people are pushing back, including ICAW, on whether that's too soon for having a single R&D scheme as well. So it might potentially change? That might change, yes. Okay. Capital
0: allowances. Do you want to talk us through the replacement of the super deduction? What's changing?
2: We had the super deduction up until the 31st of March. It had been thought that that would go, but at the budget, we got a bit of a reprieve. So instead, we've got what is known as full expensing, but really it's a 100% first year allowance for companies. Um, and that'll apply from the 1st of April 2023 until the 31st of March 2026. The expenditure there must be on plant and machinery that's new and unused. Can't be on cars. It can't be on things that have been given to the company as a gift or things that have been bought to lease to somebody else. Okay. At the same time, we're retaining the 50% first year allowance for special rate expenditure. That was there alongside the super deduction before. So that's staying. And what happens there is you get a 50% first year allowance and then the balance of 50% gets a 6% writing down allowance in a future accounting periods. And special rate expenditure includes integral features, thermal insulation added to buildings, solar panels and long life assets. And those are assets with a useful life of over 25 years. Like the super deduction, special disposal rules apply. So if you sell an asset, then you get a balancing charge of 100% of the disposal value if it was a full expensed asset if it's a special rate asset so it's had 50% allowance then you have to bring 50% of the disposal value in as a balancing charge and the other 50% is deducted from the special rate pool
0: okay i mean
2: again a lot to chew on there it is key messages for listeners if an asset doesn't qualify for full expensing the 1 million pound annual investment allowance might be an alternative but remember that's not available for cars There are um, 100% first year allowances for electric cars and zero emission cars, but not other types of cars. The annual investment allowance is also available for special rate expenditure. So that might be a better option. And timing of expenditure, that's key. Yeah, it is. It might determine the value of the relief, particularly for accounting periods straddling the 1st of April. But one bit of good news actually is that the super deduction was quite restrictive in that You couldn't ever claim it on something where there'd been a contract entered into before those rules were announced. That doesn't appear to be a similar kind of restriction for the um, full expensing. So it does seem to be a little bit better in terms of timing.
0: So overall, what's your estimation of the effect of these changes altogether?
2: It's going to be a really complicated time. There's a lot of dynamics at play that might affect the overall tax position for companies. Obviously, on top of a lot of other uncertainty that they're playing with at the moment, so inflation, wage inflation, supply chain issues. So there's a lot happening for companies at the moment.
0: ICAW has good resources on this. Where can listeners find them?
2: Well, One of the places will be ICAW's Tax Line Hub. We've also got lots of insights, articles, picking up on the most recent changes following the budget. So, yes, there's a variety of places that ICAW listeners can go to.
0: Thanks, Lindsay. A marathon there. A huge amount of information. Thanks very much for summarising it all for us. Thank you. Sally, shall we move on to FRED82? This is the Consultation on Financial Reporting Exposure Draft 82
3: and it closes at the
0: end of April doesn't it
3: so the thread 82 is the uh, document that uh, proposes amendments to uk accounting standards and it's setting out those amendments for public consultation as uh, it also goes by the name of the periodic review of uk GAAP. so as the name suggests the standard setter the financial reporting council they conduct a, a periodic review of their accounting standards uh, at least every 5 years this is the The second of their periodic reviews, it started in March 2021 with an initial request for views. And like I said, FRED82 is the document that puts the proposals out there for public consultation. And and what's it been looking at? It's been looking at all of the um, sections within FRS102, the main accounting standard that's applied by uh, companies in the UK, but also FRS105 and the other accounting standards within the suite. Of accounting standards. There's really three areas that the FRC consider when they are doing these uh, periodic reviews. Changes to international accounting standards. The FRC do aim for global alignment, within their accounting standards, and they do look to apply an IFRS-based solution uh, where possible. So they've been looking at changes in recent international accounting standards. Wider developments that have happened since the last periodic review, so that might include Brexit, for example, and any other improvements that they feel are required to existing requirements. And the key proposals? So I think there's really two headline areas in terms of the key proposals around revenue and leases. So in terms of revenue, they're planning to introduce a five-step model for revenue recognition that will bring FRS-102 into alignment with the international standard of IFRS-15. There are simplifications compared to IFRS-15 to make it a more cost-effective for the types of entity that apply ifrs FRS2 and also to try and promote some efficiency within groups. So the five-step recognition model that'll move to a single framework that can be applied to all transactions and all industries um, as opposed to the current guidance within FRS 102, uh, which is okay for very simple transactions, but anything more, uh, more slightly more complicated that we see in today's world, uh, it, it doesn't work so well. So So thinking about preparers, what's it going to mean for them? So I think in terms of preparers on the revenue, it's a little bit of a different mindset. Um, It will take a little bit of getting used to, but there is lots more additional guidance within the proposals than than they're used to. And we'd encourage the preparers to embrace that additional guidance. It should really make their life easier to have a single framework with more guidance that, like I said, will be easier for uh, businesses with anything more than the most straightforward transactions to be looking at. Key proposals in terms of um, leases. Uh, With the leases at the moment, we have uh, a distinction between finance leases and operating leases. Finance leases are on balance sheet, uh, whereas operating leases are off balance sheet. Um, And FRED82 is proposing to bring in virtually all leases onto the balance sheet, so effectively treating them like a, a finance lease. Again, some simplifications compared to the full IFRS 16 There will be some exemptions for low-value assets as well, but by and large, most leases will be bought on balance sheet. And ICAW's initial thoughts in those areas? In terms of revenue, we are supportive of the introduction of the, the five-step model into FRS102. The proposals do suggest bringing it into FRS105 as well, and we do think that that might be a little bit disproportionate. But on the whole, we are, we are very supportive. There are some further tweaks required some of the language has been changed slightly compared to our IFRS 15 with a view of making it slightly simpler to apply but we're worried about the unintended consequences of that so we would uh, encourage the FRC to perhaps uh, reconsider their decisions there. In terms of leases again generally supportive of the uh, bringing leases on balance sheet. Companies deal with finance leases already, so preparers should be fairly familiar. And again, the simplifications that they've introduced or they're proposing to introduce, particularly around the uh, interest rate which has been a, a problematic area in practical implementation for IFRS 16, the, the proposed simplifications there will, will definitely help preparers. us. We do, however, feel that the section in terms of drafting is very long. Essentially, they've more or less brought all of IFRS 16 into IFRS 102, so we would like to see that shortened. Now, this
0: consultation, it closes on April 30th, doesn't it? What happens
3: then? from april the 30th frc will obviously be looking at all of the feedback that they have uh, received and then they will issue the final amendments so they will issue updated frs's the proposed effective date for these changes is accounting periods beginning on or after the 1st of January 2025. Now the FRC have stated that they will give companies at least 12 months to prepare for these changes so that would suggest that we'd see the final amendments by the end of this year. Time will tell based on the feedback that they receive whether that timetable is stuck to.
0: So there is time to get involved in this this month. How do listeners contribute to the consultation?
3: There's a couple of ways that listeners can contribute. Um, In terms of ICAW, then we have a digital magazine, By All Accounts, that is currently uh, published, and that's available at icaw.com forward slash By All Accounts. That provides a a range of articles informing readers about the changes, and they can also uh, provide input directly to ICAW by emailing us at frf at icaw.com. Alternatively, listeners can respond directly to the FRC themselves. They have a hub at frc.org.uk forward slash fred82 with details of how to respond directly.
0: Thanks, Sally. That's great. And obviously there will be links to everything you've just referred to uh, in the show notes. So don't worry if if, uh, listeners hearing that didn't get a chance to write it down. Thank you. John, Sally, Lindsay, thanks very much indeed for joining us today. As we said, you can find more information about the issues we've discussed in this episode. Visit the tax line and the Buy All Accounts hubs on the ICAW website. You'll find links to those in the show notes, as I said. You can sign up to the newsletters there too, so that you receive updates direct to your inbox. In the next In Focus podcast later this month, we'll be discussing methods to encourage SME investment and the particular role that the regulatory burden plays. We'll have more news and accountancy updates for you in May. Meantime, if you found this useful, please do let us know by rating, reviewing and sharing this episode and subscribing to ICAW Insights on your podcast app. Thanks for being with us.